to be and stay fresh in your relationships with others and with God, you have to be a giver. Today, we're looking at the way to be a giver. This message is the ninth in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Giving. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. As we're getting ready to study the Bible this morning, let's welcome our Frederick campus. All you folks in Frederick, we welcome you this morning, our live feed there to you. And all you folks in Frederick, give a good welcome to the folks in Gaithersburg as well as we're studying God's Word together this weekend. We're involved in a series of messages entitled Fresh. We've been talking about how to experience a freshness in your life, in your walk with God, your relationships with one another. I want to talk this weekend about fresh giving. What does it mean to refresh your life by learning how to be generous in the way you live your life? Fresh giving. If I were to ask you what are your most familiar Bible verses, what would they be? Most of us know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. We know the Lord's prayer, our Father which art in heaven. We know that phrase from the Apostle Paul's writings in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We know also in that very same chapter, Philippians chapter 4, the words of Paul when he says, and my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. A lot of familiar verses that we may not know exactly where they are in the Bible, but we know that they're Bible verses, and we know something about them. We've heard either messages on them, or maybe we've memorized them in Sunday school. We're somewhat aware of different familiar verses in Scripture. If I were to say, you are more blessed to, there you go, than to receive. Most of us have heard that, haven't we? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. What we don't realize sometimes is exactly where that verse is in the Bible. It's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It's attributed to the Lord Jesus Himself. The Apostle Paul is quoting it to the church leaders in Ephesus, but he, he says, these are the words of our Lord. The words of our Lord, He taught us it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. While that is not recorded in the gospel accounts, it was recorded by one of the apostles. It was remembered by one of the apostles that passed it on to the early church that Jesus said this. Jesus said, it is more blessed. You'll have a more blessed life, a fuller life, a fresher life if you learn how to be a giver. What I want to talk to us about this weekend is how do we enter into this fullness of life, this blessed life that, that centers around us learning how to be generous in the way that we live and the way that we give. See, in life, life is fulfilled when you not only have an inflow, but you also have an outflow. There are a lot of people, the only focus of their life is inflow. What can I bring into my life? But real blessing happens when you begin to turn around and say, from what I have received, how now can I give? How can it flow out? So what I want to talk to us about for the next few moments are three things, just three very simple things that will help you to learn how to be more of a giver, how to step in to this kind of practiced and principled life that Jesus called us to. So the first thing that you and I have to do if we're going to learn this lifestyle of giving and be fresh in our approach to giving is we have to recognize our withholding patterns. Recognize our withholding patterns. One of God's goals for you in your life is to grow you into a generous person. That's God's plan. Generosity is a good thing. Because generosity is linked to being godly. It's a part of what it means to be a godly person. 
We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But generosity is essential to you growing in your spiritual journey. And generosity is not just a one aspect part of your life, one dimension of your life. Generosity comes in a variety of areas. Let me share with you five different realms of generosity that God wants to grow you in. First of all, God wants you to be generous with your words. That is, when you speak words to other people, He wants those words to come from a place of blessing a place of encouragement, words of generosity, words that build up instead of words that tear down. And many times, instead of being generous with our words, we're kind of stingy with our words. We don't give a lot of praise to other people. And Jesus says, I want to teach you this process of expanding your life by being generous with your words. Number two, your thoughts. You know, sometimes we think some interesting thoughts about people, don't we? We let stuff get in our head about other people that may not even be true, and we begin to build our interactions around what we think about them. It's called judgment or prejudice, as sometimes we prejudge how we view a person might be, and we don't really even know them. But we set up these mindsets that we carry with them, and oftentimes they're less than generous. We believe bad about folks instead of believing good about them. And the Bible says that part of your growth as a believer is learning how to be generous in your mind, generous in your thoughts toward others. Thirdly, in your actions, how to act generously. How do you let your lifestyle reflect this actions and ongoing actions of of a bigger life, a generous life? And then number four, your resources. All of us have resources in life. You have your time, your treasure, that is the financial resource God has given you, and talents. Every person has time. God's given you some time with your life. God's given you some kind of treasure with your life. It may not be very much, but you have something. And you also have talents that He has imparted you. It's a resource of your life. And God says, I want to teach you how to be generous in all of those areas so that all of your resources will be poured out in a proper way for the kingdom of God and for the blessing of other people. And the fifth thing I would mention here is to be generous with your emotions. To open up the emotional life, your emotional life to other people, to let people in and to you be a part of their lives as well, to begin to build and form connections and relationships, to have a generosity in the way that you interact with people at an emotional, relational level. God says, I want you to be generous in all these areas. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, the opposite of generosity is stinginess. Or another word that I've used here in the point is withholding, that we hold back, we hold on to, we withhold. And let me tell you something about withholding, why it's dangerous. Because when you withhold in any of these five areas, you withhold generous words, you withhold generous thoughts and generous actions, and you withhold your resources, you withhold your emotions from other folks. Let me tell you what happens. You grow stagnant and stale on the inside. I'll tell you something else that occurs. Your heart gets a little bit harder. Your heart shrinks and your life shrivels up. There's a difference between a pond and a lake. You know the difference between a pond and a lake? A pond generally has input but no outflow. And you will often see on ponds all kind of stuff growing on the surface of ponds. Algae and all kind of things that grow and and really are very active in a pond because while there's the inflow... There's no outflow, but in a lake, there is an inflow and an outflow, and so we often refer to a lake as fresh water. Why? Because there's something coming in and something going out, and so when God is able to bring things into your life and then bring them through your life out to others, there's a freshness that comes as a part of it. So can I ask you this morning, what are your withholding patterns in your life right now? Are you truly generous in your words? Are you generous in your thoughts? 
Are you generous in your actions? Are you generous with your resources? Are you generous with your emotions, or do you withhold in some of those areas? Here's my second thing in our message this weekend. You have to believe in the benefits of giving. You'll never become a giver. You'll never stop withholding until you actually believe that giving is better. In your life, your beliefs determine your behavior. Your behavior don't de- do not determine your beliefs. Your beliefs determine your behavior. Whatever you believe will be acted out in the way you behave. And the best way to know what you really believe is by looking at how you behave. And sadly, we live in a world that is very withholding. Most people are quite concerned with number one. Me, myself, and I. What, what can I get? What can I accrue to myself? What can I bring into my life? Very few people really think about giving out of their life to others. It's not generally the top of the list for people and their concern. They want to get more than give. And oftentimes we fall into that same pattern because mentally we have assented to, we've agreed with, whether we've acknowledged it or not, that it's actually better to withhold than it is to give. But Jesus comes along and says, let me tell you something, really the best way to live is not by withholding, but the best way to live is by giving. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if we really believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive, what would we do more of? We give, because our behavior would reflect that reality. So I want to help you to understand how to move toward this pattern, to believe in the benefits of giving. I'm going to share with you six benefits, six biblical benefits of giving. Why should you be a giver in those five realms of light that we talked about? First of all, because when you give, it will help you to be like God. Godliness is a good thing, amen? It's good to want to be godly. In fact, we're told that godliness is something every one of us should aim toward. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, and gives him these words of instruction that apply to us as well. He says, for physical training is of some value, but underline this on your notes, godliness has value for what? All things. When you become godly, godly, there's a value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So being godly is a good thing. And one of the characteristics of God, part of His nature, is generosity. Has God been generous to you? Of course He has. You would not even be here today apart from the generosity of God. You would not be going to heaven had it not been for the generosity of God sending His only begotten Son into the world and giving us that gift of His best, His Son given to us. And so God is a generous God, and the Bible teaches us all over and over again of the generous nature of God. Matthew 7, verse 11 is one example of this. Jesus speaking these words, He says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven... What's the next word there? Give. Circle that in your notes. So what does the Father do? He, he gives. Give good gifts to those who ask Him. And so Jesus said, you've got to remember the nature of your Father. He is a good Father who loves to give. James chapter 1 verse 5 clarifies this even further and helping us to understand the nature of God. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives how? So circle the phrase, gives generously. So how does God give when He gives? 
He gives generously to us, and so it is a part of his nature. It goes on to say, without finding fault, it will be given to him. So by nature, God is a giver. So one of the benefits of giving is you become more like God. Number two, it's freeing. When you give, there's something, a freedom that happens to you. I'm going to give you a moment to write that down. Then I'm going to ask you, everybody here to do something with me. If you can sort of get a, at least one free hand. Uh, both would be better. But if you can have one free hand in front of you, that would be great. And I want you to just take your hand and, and form a, a fist right now, if you will. Just form a fist. And I want you to squeeze that fist as tightly as you can. Come on, just squeeze. Squeeze as tightly as you can. What are you starting to feel in your hands and your arms? What? Come on, you can talk back. It's okay. What is it? It's definitely not relaxation, is it? You're feeling tension, right? You know why? Because when you grab and hold like this, what does it produce to you in your life? It produces tension. And over time, it produces fatigue. If I ask you to hold this position for the next 10 minutes, some of you would likely leave right now, wouldn't you? Okay? And I'm not going to do that. Okay? Now release, let go. What do you feel? Freedom, right? I don't, it, it, the pressure is gone. You know that for many of us, that's the way we live. In every aspect of life, we grab hold and we hold tightly and we wonder, why am I so stressed out? Why am I so fatigued all the time? Why am I so worn out with living light? Well, there are lots of reasons why fatigue and weariness comes, but one reason is when we try to grab hold to things in life and hold on them to so tightly that it absolutely stresses us out. It brings us that kind of tiredness and fatigue. And when you become a giving person, when you become a forgiving person, you step into a freedom like you've never known before. Because you're not doing this, you're living not with a closed fist, you're living with an open hand, right? An open hand makes a big difference. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if, we're, if our focus is on storing up treasures on earth, then we've got, to, we've got to guard against the moths and the rust. We've got to guard against the thieves breaking in and stealing. But if we store up our, for ourselves treasures in heaven, we don't have to worry about the moths. Amen. Aren't you glad there's no mothballs in heaven? Amen. Not needed there. Okay. And we don't have to worry about the rust because there is no corrosion in heaven. We don't have to worry about thieves breaking in and stealing because they're not there. They're in another place. Okay. So we, have, we live life from a, more, a, a freedom perspective. Now, that's not saying that you can't have stuff here on the earth. It's not in any way denying the fact that there are material resources that are needed and that are a blessing in our life. I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But what it is saying is not living your life like this, but living your life like this. Let's talk about another aspect of this freedom of giving. Let's talk about the, not just the giving, but the forgiving for a moment. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 18. I need to tell you a little bit about this parable before we actually read this portion from Scripture uh, so you'll understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. Here's a parable. A parable is a story that comes alongside a principle. That's really what it means. A parable is a story that sort of is set beside a principle to help us to understand a principle. So Jesus taught a lot by using parables. These are stories. 
And he said, let me tell you, Jesus said, let me tell you a story about a man who owed his master a whole bunch of money. In fact, if we were to translate, you can go back, by the way, and I would encourage you to do so. Read the entire story, Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to tell you about, I'm going to paraphrase it for you, if that's okay for the sake of time here. And so Jesus said, I want to tell you a story about a man who owed his master a pile of money. In today's economy, it would probably would have been something like millions of dollars that he owed his master. And this guy did not have the ability to pay his debt back. He had no ability to pay it. And so he goes to the master. He begins to beg the master to have mercy on him and to forgive him. And the Bible says that the master generously, graciously, and generously forgives the man millions of dollars worth of debt. Would that be a good day? Amen? Okay. If you got home this afternoon, all your credit card companies had sent you a letter and said, hey, all your debt's forgiven, okay? And if your mortgage company sent you a letter and said, your house is paid for, okay? Anybody, could I hear some hallelujahs going around, okay, right? That'd be a good day, right, okay? All your debt's paid for. Don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's wiped away. You don't owe anything anymore. It's all gone, okay? And the Bible says something about this guy. Once he's received his forgiveness, read it in your own Bibles. You can take time this week and read it. The Bible says that there was a man that owed this guy some money, but was the equivalent of what we might say maybe $20 or $30. Okay, he's just been forgiven millions of dollars, but he's got a guy that owes him $20, $25, $30. And after coming away from his great experience of being forgiven, he goes and finds this guy that owes him this little bit of money, and he grabs him by the neck and begins to shake him and says, pay me everything you owe me. And this guy who owed this fellow a little bit of money begged for forgiveness, but this fellow would not forgive him. Would you agree there's something wrong with that picture, right? He's just had all of his debt wiped out. He's just been forgiven, but he's not willing to forgive. He's just received an amazing blessing in his life, but he's not willing to pass on that blessing to someone else. He's experienced the bigness and the generosity of his master, but he's not willing to be big instead of he's being small and petty with the one that owed him. Now, let's see what Jesus had to say as the story, the, the principle behind this parable, the story that he wants us to understand and get for our lives. Here, I'm going to pick up actually in verse 32. So you got the background right? Everybody with me on the background? Then the master called the servant in. Jesus is getting to the point here. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy, that is generosity, compassion, grace, mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be, what's the next word there? Would you circle that word on your notes, to be tortured? Until he should pay back all he owed. Now, verse 35 really should get your attention. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, here's the point of this whole story. The reason I gave you this parable is because I want you to understand that if you, don't, if you don't forgive, you're going to be missing out on forgiveness. If you try to come to God and experience the bigness, the, the beauty of His generosity, but you're not willing to be generous toward others, you're going to live a tortured life. And there are many people that live that way. They've received the forgiveness of God, 
They've received the mercy of God. They've received the kindness of God. But they turn around toward other people and they don't extend to them the same kind of mercy that God has given to them. And they end up living at some level tortured in their emotions, troubled in their life in some way. The principle is simply this, that we want to, if we want to experience a fresh life, we've got to give. And why should we give? Because it's being like God. It's also something that reminds us that we are, in fact, uh, freed up when we give. And the third thing that we must understand about giving, why we do it, is because it attracts blessings. Go ahead and write the word down, blessings, blessings. Everybody say the word blessings with me. Now, I'm going to say something about blessings here for a moment before I dive into this point because this is extremely important that I say this. There's a lot of confusion in the world today and in the Christian world today about what constitutes a blessing. In some quarters, the only thing that constitutes a blessing for some folks in their definition has to do with material resources. That somehow that that God wants to make you wealthy and that God wants to make you rich and that blessings are associated with finances. Now, I'm here to say that God wants to take care of your needs and God is generous in taking care of our material and financial needs. He's a great God in terms of that and I believe in the value of that. But understand something, that's not what blessing's all about. Did you hear me? Because you may not have a lot of that and you can still be blessed. And you may have a lot of that and not be very blessed. I've known folks that had very little. I've traveled all over the world uh, doing pastors' conferences in various places. And I've met some folks that had, from a world's perspective, very little, but they had the joy of Jesus in their heart. They were blessed. And I've met some people that were very, very wealthy, and I've sat down with them before, and they were miserable inside because they didn't have the joy of Jesus in them. So please don't limit your definition of what a blessing is. A blessing, there are things that money cannot buy, amen? There are things that money will never be able to buy you. But here's what I want you to see. The Bible is very clear that when you become a generous person, you're going to attract Blessings and the broader definition of that. So understand how I'm defining. I'm not just defining it financially here today because I don't believe that's what blessing is all about. But you, it will attract blessing in your life. Let me, use, let me use an illustration this way. One of the words that we use for generous people is they're magnanimous. You heard that word before? He or she is a magnanimous person. The root word for magnanimous, we know it because we use it with another word, magnet, right? Magnet, magnanimous. What does a magnet do? Attracts, exactly right. So magnet attracts. Magnanimous, when you live a magnanimous life, you become an attractive person. I love to be around generous, spirited people, don't you? There's something beautiful about them. There's something attractive about their personality. I would much rather be around a person who lives like this than to be around someone who lives like this. Amen? It's just much more joyous to be around someone who lives with that open hand rather than someone that lives with a clenched fist. And so there's an attractive element to this. Notice that while I don't believe that getting is necessarily a byproduct or a reason, I should say, why we give, but I do believe that receiving, attracting, if you will, blessing is an outflow of a giving lifestyle. Jesus described it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus' words. So who said this? 
Jesus, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus said, let me tell you something, when you learn to give, when there's an outflow from your life, there will also be an ongoing inflow into your life. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is a basic agricultural principle. You don't have to be a rocket science to figure this out. If you want a big harvest, what do you have to plant lots of? Seed. If you plant a little bit of seed, what kind of harvest are you going to have? A little harvest. If you want a larger harvest, what do you do? You increase the amount of seed that you sow. And so the more generously we sow, there's the principle of reaping back God's blessings for our lives. Number four. When you and I give, it demonstrates maturity. Any of you want to be a mature Christian? I do. Amen? A couple of you do, right? That's good. I know you're taking notes right there. Okay. Maturity. What does it mean to be mature? To be mature means that you have grown up, right? That you're not a baby anymore. You're not living as a child. Children are, by nature, as they're little, they are receivers, aren't they? Okay. Now, they give us lots of joy in terms of relationship and so forth, but by and we, we care for kids, right? We, we put energy into them, caring for them. We give to them. But over time, as a child grows up, you want to see if you're a good parent, you want to make sure that they're now contributing something back into the family, right? They're taking responsibility. They're doing their chores. They're, they're owning this family lifestyle. They're a part of it. So they grow up. And I like to say it this way. As we grow, what we do is over time, we, we exchange our bibs for aprons, okay? They were used to wear bibs, and we say, hey, feed me, take care of me. That at some point in time, I mean, if you're still like 50 and wearing a bib, you've got a problem, okay? Maybe nobody's told you, but you've got a problem, Okay. At some point in time, you need to take the bib off and put on an apron. And what's the difference between a bib and an apron? A bib is take care of me. An apron is how can I take care of you? How can I serve you? And so part of maturity involves us growing up, us giving, becoming bigger in spirit. So big people give, small-minded people, petty people hold. They receive, okay? Now, I want to show you from the Bible a clear picture of two people, one that has grown up and one that is still a baby. They're both adults, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, one has matured and the other has not. But I need you to tell you very quickly a little story before you'll understand uh, the passage I'm going to read for you. The passage you're going to find in John chapter 12, let me tell you what's happened. It's a story about Jesus being in the house of three people, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They were a family, brother, two sisters. They were in the, Jesus was there in the house because a miracle had happened. Lazarus had been dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You can read about that in Luke, excuse me, John chapter 11. And so they had had a, they had a banquet in celebration of the fact that Lazarus, the one who was dead, was now alive again because of what Jesus had done. And so Jesus is the guest at Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' house for this banquet, Okay. Now, in, this, in the midst of this banquet, I want you to notice what happens. We're going to see one big-spirited person and one little-spirited person. Are you ready? One mature person, one immature person. Then Mary, again, they're at the banquet here. This is verse number three. Then Mary, 
took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. Let me stop there for a moment. This, this, per, this pint of pure nard, more than likely it would have come from somewhere like northern India, the Himalaya region. It was a very expensive thing. In fact, it was most likely it would have cost Mary the equivalent of an entire year's wages to have. So it was very, very special. It was the, the, probably the most expensive thing that she owned. Maybe she's holding it for her marriage, or maybe she's holding it for her future. Maybe it's a part of the investment of her future. We don't know what it is, but it's a very, very valuable thing. And so she takes this pint of pure nard, an expensive pure perfume, and what does she do with it? She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What I want you to see is that Mary had Jesus in her house, and she wanted to show Jesus how much she loved him, how much she appreciated him, and she thought, what is the most expensive thing I can do? What is the most extravagant thing I can do that nobody will understand, but I know it's coming from my heart. What can I do to show Jesus how much I love him? And she goes and gets the most valuable thing she has. She breaks it open, breaks open the seal. She pours it out upon his feet and begins to wipe his feet with her hair, and the whole house is filled with the fragrance of the giver. The fragrance of the giver. The extravagant fragrance of a giver. This is a big person right here. This is a mature person. She understands, I may never have Jesus in my house like this again, so I'm going to give him everything I can give him. Now, let's look at the small person in the story. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, what's the next word there? What did he do? Help me out. What did he do? He objected. So what's Mary doing? She's pouring out extravagantly. What's Judas doing? You see the difference? Now, whose story are we celebrating today? The story of Mary's worship of Jesus. Where did Judas end up? You see the difference? We're starting to see indications of this kind of stuff going on in Judas's life. See, Judas didn't just wake up one day and betray Jesus. It all started with something in his spirit. It started with Satan getting a hold of his heart. It started with Satan pulling at him and, and, and closing him in in his spirit, making him small. And so when you and I learn to give, it's a part of the expression of our maturity. I have two more points here. We're going to wrap up as we move to our last point together. Number five, it increases opportunities, it increases influence. That's why you ought to be a giver because it's going to open up opportunities, influence for you. Your influence is going to grow. Proverbs 18, verse 16, a gift opened doors for the one who gives it, brings him into the presence of great people. The Young's translation says, the gift of a man maketh room for him, and before the great it leadeth him. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 41 and 42, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let me talk just for a moment about the going two miles, the second mile with folks. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, be bigger than that, go two. What's the principle here? Well, back in the day, Jesus living in Palestine during that time with the Jews being under the rule of the Romans, the Ro- a Roman a soldier at any point in time could, could tap you on the shoulder as a civilian and say, carry my backpack for the next mile. And you were under obligation by law at the point of a spear. You had to carry that soldier's backpack for a Roman mile. But you also, by the time you come to the end of the mile, you had the perfect right, okay, I've walked a mile, I'm dropping the backpack, it's all yours now. 
and you could walk away having fulfilled your obligation. But Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, what are you supposed to do? Go two. What is the second mile? The second mile is not an obligation. The second mile is a gift, correct? I don't have to go the second mile. But I'm now going to move beyond the first mile, and I'm going to go the second mile because now I've moved beyond obligation, and now I've moved into the realm of giving. I'm giving. Why would Jesus tell his disciples to live this way? I believe because that second mile is where the influence comes. Because more than likely, that Roman soldier is going to say, why are you doing that? I mean, you're only supposed to carry it one mile, and you have now the opportunity, well, I'm doing it because I'm following the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught us to go to the second mile. Can I tell you about my Savior? Let me tell you something. You'll find many opportunities to share Jesus Christ with other people when you go the second mile. I'll tell you something else about the second mile. It's not very congested. There are only a few people in the second mile, but if you'll take the step on the second mile, you'll be You'll be set apart as a unique person. Go the second mile in your job. You'll be noticed. Go the second mile in your relationship. It'll make a difference. Learn how to be a giver. It opens up influence. And the last thing I'll mention here is it demonstrates trust and faith. That when you and I give, it demonstrates trust and it demonstrates faith. See, giving is really not about giving. It's about your trust in God and your faith in God. It's believing that He has the capacity to meet your needs. Do you believe that God has the capacity to meet your needs? Do you really believe it? Philippians 4.19, and my God will do what? Will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let me give you the last point. We're going to be done. How do you become this generous person so your life is fresh, refreshed regularly? Fresh water, if you will, flowing through your life. You have to decide and plan and practice giving. Decide, plan, and practice giving. You can say, hey, I think giving is a good thing. But giving is not theoretical. Giving is an action. God so loved that he didn't just think it's a nice idea. I'd like to save them, but I'm not going to. No. God so loved that he acted. He gave his only begotten son. And so God decided I'm going to do something because of the need of people. He, he made a plan. It's called the plan of salvation. And he acted. He actually sent his son into the world. And at some point, if you're going to become a giver, you've got to decide I'm going to be a giver. You have to plan to be a giver. And you, then you have to actually execute that plan. You have to do it. It's a lot easier said than it's done. And I've made a decision in my life. I want to live my life that at the end I can say, you know what? It was a lot more done than said. I want to live my life where I've ex exemplified the doing more than the saying that I want to do. And so it's a lot easier said than done. And so how do you become a giver? Write these two things down in your notes. First of all, you, to become a giver, you have to give before you feel like it. If you wait till you feel like giving, guess what? It's going to be a long time. So you give before you feel like it. Number two, to become a giver, you'll have to start giving while you don't feel like it. Sometimes in the process even of giving, you don't really feel like giving it. You may not feel like walking that second mile, okay? Maybe you got other stuff going on, but Jesus said take the second mile. You don't feel like it, so you have to do it before you feel like it and even while you don't feel like it. So it becomes uh, sometimes in the, in the starting out process, especially becoming a generous person, it's not all you have to kind of go against your natural feelings to do this and to learn to live like this. So how do you do it? Here's some things. Start now. Don't wait till later. 
Say, today I'm making a decision. I'm going to be a giver. Start small at the beginning point. If you're not much of a giver right now, say, what can I do? How can I start? Maybe it's small, but how can I start? I believe in, the, in, in, in one of the ways is to practice the tithe. That's a beginning point for your life as God's given us. Number three, stay consistent. Just live it out day by day. Don't stop. Don't pull back. Stay consistent. Number four, keep stretching. That is, don't grow comfortable. Don't grow complacent with your giving. Always stretch yourself a little bit more. My wife and I, each year, we talk about, well, what can we do this year? How can we stretch out a little bit more? We make decisions to stretch ourselves in a variety of ways of giving. Number five, be comprehensive. Don't just think about giving in one realm. Remember, giving is about being generous with your words, generous with your thoughts, generous with your actions, generous with your resources, generous with your, uh, your, 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 your emotions, your relationships with other people. So how can I be generous comprehensively and then make it your, lifestyle. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. What does God want you to be? Generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. So the end of generosity is not about you or me, but it's all about bringing thanksgiving to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity we've had to study together. I pray that in each of our hearts that you would allow us to grow. Lord, we pray that, that you'll help us to gain a perspective of generosity like we've never had before and let us live as generous people. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.